0: invitation song will be number five hundred seventy two five hundred seventy two we would like to express Our appreciation to every person for your attendance here and participation in the service today. Your presence here is important. It's meaningful. From youngest to oldest, we all have a part in the kingdom of Christ and in His worship assembly. If you're visiting here this morning, we're especially glad to have you and count you as our honored guest, we would encourage you, if anything is presented here today that causes a question in your mind, that you would come and have that discussion with us. We want to also welcome those that are connected with us this morning through Zoom or YouTube. Five months ago, we did a study that we called, How the New Testament Church Grows to Maturity. I want to take just a few minutes this morning and review this study to set the stage for what we want to talk about as our main subject this morning. You will remember that we presented the New Testament pattern that's given in Scripture in four different steps. The first step was that of the Great Commission. An evangelist goes into an area, he begins to preach to those who have not heard the Gospel, Mark uh, 16, verse 15 and 16, Christ said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes and is baptized will be saved. That's the message that Christ taught us to carry in the Great Commission. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4 tell us that the definition of the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. This text also tells us that we're saved by the gospel and that we stand in the gospel. Other places in Scripture teach us about things that go along with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Ways that we respond to the grace of Jesus Christ as He sent His Son to this earth. We begin by our faith or our belief. We are, must be willing to repent, then we confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then we must be buried with Him in baptism. We're taught in Romans chapter 6 that baptism is a form of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That when we kill that old man, that's, a tithe, that's a, an image of our repentance, As we go down into the water and are buried, we come into contact with the death of Christ. His blood takes away our sin. We are united with Him, and we arise to walk in newness of life. This is the gospel. This is Christ crucified that Paul often referenced. We teach that, and as it is taught, there are those that will hear, and it will produce faith in their life. They will believe They will follow through with the other requirements, and they will be baptized. And as Christ said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Everyone will not accept the message, but some will accept the message, and these saved will be added to the church. Acts chapter 2, verse number 47, And the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. It's an automatic thing that happens when we're saved, we're joined to the universal church. And not only that, we are to be a part of a local congregation. And that brings us to step two. The evangelist, as he gathers these that are saved out of the world into the right relationship with God, he must set things in order. We're taught a very orderly pattern in God's Word for the Church. We serve a God of order. We're taught in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that God is not the author of confusion. And so we read about how we are to come together, that there are to be certain elements in our worship, singing, prayer, teaching, the Lord's sutra, contribution. The men are to, le- to teach one at a time. The women are to be silent. These are the things that makes for the order that God has given us for the church, and it's the evangelists that must set things in order. Another very important part of setting things in order is to train teachers. As we look at the New Testament pattern in those congregations that are presented in the book of Acts and in, in 1 Corinthians and other places, we see these congregations had multiple teachers. Acts 13, verse 1, there were five teachers named. A while later, when Paul and Barnabas came back to Antioch after their first missionary trip, the Bible says that they taught with many others also. So it was their practice to have multiple teachers. And it is the evangelist's duty as he seeks to instruct and to set things in order to train teachers. The third step is to ordain elders and deacons. Elders do not just appear out of error. There's a process that has to take place, and that is connected back to those teachers. Elders are stated within their group of qualifications that they're to be apt to teach, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Titus 1 verse 5 says that they must by sound doctrine be able to exhort and to confront those that are bringing false doctrine. So they are taken out of the group of teachers that are developed within the the local congregation, those that reach spiritual maturity and meet these qualifications, then they are to be put in as elders. The deacons are to be ordained as well by the evangelist according to their qualifications. And so within the church, you have elders, you have deacons, you have teachers, and then you have saints. The organized church then in step four is to train up and send out. This pattern that God has given us is self-replicating as these positions, do their work, and they equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, then people grow up in those environments, and they're trained, and they're ready to step in position when they're needed. That can apply to potential evangelists that are brought up through the church, to deacons, to uh, future elders. All of these processes take place within the organized, mature body that we find pictured in God's Word. The evangelist then, once the congregation is mature, is able to go to other work areas and to teach the gospel to those that have not heard it. This sets the stage for some other things that I want to share with you this morning. The church, the kingdom, is eternal. It is the... This play of the manifold wisdom of God. It will exist on this earth until Christ comes again. At that time, it will be delivered to the Father in heaven as the spotless bride of Christ. This church is so important that Christ died to purchase those who are brought out of the world through the gospel and put as a part in Christ In his church. And so there's a question that we should ask. Once the mature congregation is in place, what functions will perpetuate the church until Christ returns? I would submit to you this morning that it will be done by generation after generation who understand and implement the mission of the church. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. We can ask this same question by asking what is the mission for the local body of Christ? This mission and staying true to this mission will preserve the church all the way to the end of this world. And then the church will be taken to be with God in eternity in heaven a more specific way even than that to ask this question, what is the mission for Northwest Church of Christ? Do we have a mission? Do we have something that is the core of who we are and what we attempt to do as the disciples of Christ? I hope that we do. In this pattern of the mature church, we noted that elders are to be ordained and put in place. Their role is to oversee the congregation, the local body, an autonomous body that follows God, that follows the path that He has set forth. The elders do not set the path. The path is already set. God set it. We are to follow it. The elders only make decisions in judgment areas, and they make decisions to take the lead in setting the mission for the church. To study so that they can understand it, so that they can share that with others, and so it can be, throughout the congregation, a unified mission for the church. Before I was ever born, the beginning of this congregation was set in place as far as the organization there were four elders that were ordained in 1955. And since that time, down to the present time, there's been 17 that have served as elders in this congregation. And we want to thank those men that have given their time and effort to serve. And we want to thank them for being sure to keep the true mission of the church in place. That's been over 50 50 years ago. We moved here in about uh, 2007, which was 52 years from the time the congregation there started. We've been here since that time. Time will go on. Can we just sit down and expect that because of the work of these earlier elders that the mission of the church will be carried forward? I will tell you this morning that Satan is trying... To veer the mission of the church into other things. He loves to get the church off a the track. Then it doesn't accomplish that for which it was purchased the blood that Christ shed to purchase this precious institution that is so very important. So the elders are to take the oversight, they're to do a work. Being an elder is not just a position. It's not just someone that makes decisions about who's going to preach or who's going to be involved in the service. It's a work that includes different facets. We're taught in God's word that the elder is to feed, that he's to oversee, that he's to be an example. All of these ideas are presented in 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 2 to 4. It says, "Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. The King James renders that first word in verse 2, feed the flock of God. How can an elder feed the flock of God unless he's willing to teach, unless he's apt to teach, unless he understands the mission of the church? How can he feed and lead the congregation to be unified to accomplish the things that have been put before the people of God? He is to oversee And He's to do that according to verse 3 by example. A servant leader living the proper life, doing the work, setting the example. This is the picture that we see of the work of an elder. As we think about shepherds and the picture that we saw, those sheep were looking down. Those shepherds were the ones that were out front and they were looking to see what was ahead. That's what we have to do to keep ourselves on track, to keep the congregation on track. They're to watch as false doctrine bombards the people of God. And they're to fight against that. Be very watchful. If that watch or that guard is let down, then the mission of the church will come under destruction. In Hebrews 13 verse 17, we're specifically taught that the elder is to... Watch for the souls of those of the flock. Obey them that rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. God is going to hold the elders who serve and lead in the local congregation accountable for the things that they do, the lead that they take, the mission that they set for the church. All of these things are important, and it's important that men are qualified. It's important that men work from a very early age to qualify themselves to be able to serve in this capacity. I think I shared the last time I talked about this, that Brother Pinkerton, when I was 14 years old, came to me, and he sat me down, and he talked about all of these things with me. And he said, You need to start right now working to try to be qualified to serve as an elder. You may never be needed. It may never work around to where that happens, but He said you need to work to be qualified to do that. And as we talk about the mission of the church and how we're going to keep it on track, I hope that you will see as a young person that you need to be working early in life. Select the right person to marry. Study God's Word. Be prepared. Build the characteristics that we found that we find listed in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 to prepare for this work. It's such an important work to keep God's people mission-oriented and keep them on the path that God has set before us. I want to present five categories this morning that are important in keeping the church on its mission. First category is continue the Great Commission mission. That may be a little bit redundant, but our core mission should always be this Great Commission. We can go back and think about what that evangelist did in the very beginning to convert people and bring them into the church, and we can say that that is the core of who we are as Christians. As disciples of Christ, we carry the mission of Christ forward, who said that He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He gave this commission to His workers. He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Christ's commission goes to the end of the age. That means until Christ comes again, this commission applies to His disciples. And we're to have a heart of evangelism, to seek, to teach, to make disciples, and then to mentor those disciples and to teach them to observe all things. The very first word of the Great Commission is go. It's self-explanatory. We can't sit in our house, we can't sit even here in this building, and reach those that are lost. We talked about step one. Of, of planning a congregation. You have to go to where the lost are and you have to teach them. And that's what we need to be doing as a congregation. This is not all just for preachers and evangelists and others, but all of us have a role to play in carrying this mission forward. We're to go. We're to teach this gospel that we reviewed earlier. This is God's power to salvation. Romans 1, verse 16. It's to the Jew, and it's also to the Greek. It's to everyone. We don't have to be selective about who we present the gospel to. We can present it to everyone. We can plant that seed and search for that good and honest heart that will allow that seed to go in and germinate. You might have noticed that this belief in baptism is always sitting there beside the church. Do you know that there's always going to be lost people around us in the community? We can't just set a period of time and say, well, we've done all we can do, and we don't have to worry about this mission anymore. All of the time, 365 days a year, we need to be thinking about how we can reach those that are lost and teach them the gospel and be able to bring them into the church. John 4.35, do, do you not say there are still four months, and then comes harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. We talked about those shepherds that's looking ahead on, down that path. That's vision. What are they seeing down there? They need to, we all need to lift up our heads and look around us and see the opportunities to carry the gospel to others. Every one of us as Christians are admonished to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And we all have varying abilities to be able to articulate the Word of God to other people, but every one of us have in our heart the reason we obeyed God. And we have the assurance from God that causes us to have peace and to be able to function in our places as the disciples of Christ. We need to use that as we have opportunity. Maybe that's a word of encouragement. Maybe that's an invitation to come to church. Maybe that's offering to pray for someone that's having difficulty. Maybe that's setting up a Bible study. These are the things that we need to be doing to find an opportunity for those that ask questions to be able to give a reason of that hope. As we move away from just our local community, we begin to think about a broader mission. What did Christ say? Go into Plainview within a 10-mile radius and teach the gospel? That's not what He said. He said, go into the world to every creature. He said, unto all nations. And so as we have opportunity as a body, as a local body, as Northwest Church of Christ we're able to encourage teachers to go out, evangelists to go out and spread the Word of God. We do that mainly financially. We give of our means, and there's a financial component within the church, and those finances are put to use to send these evangelists out to other areas to work. There's a perspective that I think is of utmost importance to follow the mission of the church and to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. And what that is, is an outward perspective rather than an inward perspective. Certainly we have to take care of things inwardly as an individual. We have to take care of our inner workings of the congregation But if we ever take our eyes off of those fields that are white for harvest, then we lose the true motivation that all of the things that we do should come together to promote the gospel. We need to be careful that we see these opportunities and we're willing to send people to do this work, whether it benefits us in any specific way or not. This is the principles that we see taught in God's Word. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, the Bible says that you cannot call on someone that you haven't heard about. You can't believe in someone. How shall they hear without a preacher? Verse 14. How shall they preach unless they're sent? Preachers have to be sent to go out. That evangelist that we saw that planted that initial Gospel that started and planted that church. He had to be sent to do that. And that's where we again need to be focused on our mission for the church. Let's think about a second category. Is it important that we stay on track regarding the doctrine that's given us in God's Word? Can we adjust the doctrine because we live in a modern world We can change it, make it what we want it to be, make it easier, make it more convenient, change Christ up to where He looks like who we want Him to to be as our Savior. Certainly, we cannot do any of that. We must remain pure in our doctrine. That's at a core. That's a category of the core of our mission. In Acts 2, verse 42, as the church Had its very beginning, what does the Bible say? It says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. That was important. These apostles had the Holy Spirit, a measure of it to where things were revealed unto them, the truth was revealed unto them. They had that. They taught it. It was important that people followed it. That Word was written down, and we have the the final... Version of God's will for us. The inspired Word of God. And we have to stay with that Word or we will lose the core of our mission as Northwest Church of Christ. Read again in Acts 20, verse 28 to 31. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Ghost hath made your overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul continues, Also from among yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day. Paul faced all kinds of things that he did not show tears over. But this one thing that's recorded here in Acts chapter, chapter 20, he shed tears. Day and night for three years, what was he shedding tears about? Because he was worried about the church at Ephesus. He was admonishing those Ephesian elders that you need to stay on track doctrinally. He said there's going to be people coming from the outside. There's going to be people coming from the inside. And they're going to try to take the church away from the proper path. And He warned them in a most dire way. And that warning is for us today, that we stick with God's Word in every part and to the purest degree that we possibly can. Category 3, worship in spirit and in truth. In John 4, verse 23 to 24, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. In the opening statement, I mentioned that it's important for each of you to be here. And it's meaningful for you to be here. And it's meaningful because God is seeking those disciples that will worship Him. He wants them. He says they must worship in spirit and in truth. When we come here, we're to bring our heart, we're to put our heart, our mind, our soul into our worship. We're to do it according to the pure doctrine that we're taught in God's Word And when we do that, it brings about great blessings. God is lifted up. Our Savior Jesus Christ is lifted up. We encourage one another. We're revived. We partake of the Lord's Supper. We're reminded of the cross of Christ that again takes us back to the core of the Gospel. Reminds us who we should be as the people of God. It's important that we come together and we worship God. It's a key component of the mission of the church. Category number four, maintain the very best environment for growth. We're not just here to be entertained. We are here as members of the body of Christ to be led to a deeper maturity, to a stronger relationship with God and with Christ. We read in Ephesians, beginning in verse number 11 of chapter 4, "...and He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers." We talked about elders and the importance of elders. Deacons, very important to serve the congregation. Teachers, very important to edify the congregation. But are they to do all the work with only a focus on what their talents are? Certainly not. Verse 12 says, For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As we continue to read this formula for church growth, we find that every joint supplies what it can supply to the need of the whole. Verse 15, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto Him who is the Head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Is involvement important? participation in the mission of the church, is that important? Is it important for Northwest Church of Christ that we all are plugged in and doing what we can to further the mission of the church? It's key. It's what brings about growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. We're not to sit back and be entertained or sit back and think that other people are going to take care of the duties of of the body of Jesus Christ, but we're to be knit together, we're to be unified, we're to be led as one body, every part doing what it needs to do to bring about the benefit of the congregation. 1 Corinthians 12:25 that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. When I think about the unity within the body, I always think about Christ's prayer. And how he prayed for his apostles so fervently. But after he completed that prayer, he extended the prayer and he prayed for those who would be brought into the church through the teaching of his apostles. And he talked about how that we needed unity. The same way that Christ, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit has a oneness that we need that unity. That we need to love one another that we need to be a part of a team, that we need to pull together. These are things that Christ prayed for because they were so important. And when we think about taking the gospel to those that need to hear it, Christ specifically said, if we want to be effective in that, we need the unity within the body. We need that love. We need to exhibit that love. And when we do that, those that are lost will want to come in and have part with the people of God very very important category five and I think the ultimate statement and that is we want to take everyone possible to heaven there's so many different things that are involved in the workings of our individual Christian lives in our family lives in our church lives as we interact with people outside of the body of Christ there's many many different things that we need to consider. The ultimate goal of all is all of it is that we want every single person to make it to heaven. Paul had that attitude and he spoke about it in First Thessalonians two, verse nineteen. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not even is it not even you in the presence of Lord Jesus Christ at His coming. That's what Paul wanted more than anything else. The people that he taught the Gospel to, the people that were brought into the church, the ones that he served and ministered to, the one that he had sleepless nights over, the ones that he worried about their doctrine to the point of tears. He taught in one place about everything he had suffered physically, And he came down to the end of it, and he said, in addition to that, the cares of all the church. That was the heart of Paul. I think that's the heart of true elders, true deacons, true leaders of their family, true disciples of Jesus Christ. We want every effort to be put forth so that every single person possible can find that eternal home in heaven with Christ. This diagram was put together by Sean Zeebock. I'm not sure if he's shown that here or not, but I asked permission to to use it this morning because I want to try to bring this lesson to a point as we come to the close. And I think that's the message of this illustration. There is a point. And there are all kinds of things that are important that we take care of in our Christian life. These things are beneficial. They keep us centered in the things that we need to be centered in. All of these different participations and activities are important. We need to be doing these things. But we never need to lose the main thing. We need to let the main thing remain the main thing. And not get caught up in other things that distract us from the point that the mission of the church is to spread the gospel. Your elders here have that as a mission for the church. We've planned a gospel meeting. It starts one month from today. And the first thing we want to ask you to do is start praying, if, you're, if you hadn't already. Pray for this gospel meeting. It's a two-week work. As Callan said, on March the 19th, we'll start our... Work week, and then on March the 26th, we'll start our gospel meeting. And we'll have our Sunday services and our evening services at 7.30. The vision of the elders of this congregation is to reach out in the community at this time. We want to do this all the time, but we've designated this as an exercise to be very focused on the mission of the church. We'll have flyers that that we'll be handing out, inviting people to the meeting. We'll be getting together on the weekdays before the meeting starts. We'll meet at 8.30 in the morning. Anyone that wants to can come and participate in that. We will be looking at a list of prospects, and we'll be keeping a record of that where we're not overlapping a lot, and we're going to be out in the community working. We're going to be inviting people to church. At the end of the week on Saturday, we're going to have an activity and we're going to invite everybody that wants to come, a part of the church. We've done this in years past. A lot of our young people came and helped. And we plan to hang these bags on every door in our neighborhood. How many ever we can cover. We're going to stick this bag on the doorknob and inside the bag there's going to be a flyer inviting people to a meeting. There's going to be an invitation there that tells people what we're about as the body of Christ. There may be a business card there where people can can carry it with them. There's going to be QR codes that are going to be printed on this material so that people can link into that and link into the website and they will be taken to a video that Brother Ian Jones is, is working on right now to talk about the gospel meeting and what he'll be teaching on. We want to get this information in as many people's hands as we can. And our vision goes right back to category one of the mission of the church, and that's to reach out to this community and try to bring them in and make them aware of of Jesus Christ and every blessing that Jesus Christ has to offer. We want you to do what you can to help with that. Take flyers, invite people to the meeting. If you need someone to go with you, you don't have to be a part of some structured activity. You can go and take care of this. If you will call any one of the elders, they will make arrangements for someone to be available to go with you. And we'll do our very best to go out in the community and share the gospel with, with those that will hear the Word of God. The mission of Northwest Church of Christ. I hope we've got an overview of that. I hope we'll keep studying this. At this time we want to offer an invitation, and I want to simply ask the question this morning, have you surrendered to Jesus Christ? If we're going to be a disciple of Christ, if we're going to be a part of His body, If we're going to carry His mission forward, then we have to be a disciple of His. We have to surrender in whatever way that is appropriate in our particular individual life. If we've not obeyed the Gospel, we need to obey the Gospel. If we are not plugged in and working as we should as disciples, maybe the prayer of the church would be appropriate to rededicate your life to your service to Him. We want to offer an invitation at this time, and if we can help you in any way, come forward and be seated on the front as we stand and sing the song.